Hi everyone, and welcome to Indie Up Self-Publishing Lessons. I'm Elise Lumenstreif, and today I wanted to talk about some writer stereotypes. I think it's really important that we address these, especially before you officially decide that you want to be a writer. And it's not because I think that they could deter you, but because I think you're going to encounter them and they're going to challenge you. And I don't want you to go into your writing career without some ammunition. Um, A lot of these are silly and they contradict each other. And uh, because of that, um, I don't pay any attention to them anymore. I did when I was brand new to writing because I, you know, I, I was like, I don't know that I want my family to know or my friends to know because this is a silly thing and, and I'm writing and what an idiot, what kind of idiot, you know, <laughs> chases a writing dream. Well, there's plenty of people that do and are successful at it. So, you know, it's really, I think, more important to decide how much effort and how much time you want to put into this because it's just just like anything else it's it can be a hobby and it can be a career but that is up to you and how much time and money and effort and and energy you want to put into it so with that aside um let's talk about some stereotypes so that you can understand kind of what other people might think of you as a writer and maybe you'll be able to um, put these aside in your mind when you hear them rather than letting them get to you. So I think probably one of the biggest ones is that writers are all expected to be introverts and that's that's just not the case. Uh, there's a ton of people that are extroverted and they're extremely supportive of other people in the writing community. You know, they're just, they're flamboyant, they're <laughs> they're crazy, they're excited. And I think that is a lot more common than, than uh, you know, like we say we're introverted, but when it comes to the writing community, it's totally different. Um, you can be an introvert and, and be an extrovert in the writing community because you, you make your friends, you know, you network through editing processes, you meet people, you know, while you're doing critique swaps and whatnot, and eventually you start to grow, uh, your, um, group of friends and everything. And I think in that case, you become extroverted. I'm, I'm an introvert. I prefer to be alone and quiet and not interact with other people unless it comes to, um, other people that I've met in the writing community because I know that they get me. <laughs> um, you know, so that's something that I think it's situationally dependent too because some people will probably never be comfortable with um, having other people critique their work, which I think is funny because if you publish, readers are going to critique your work and they're not going to care what they say or what they post in their reviews. They're going give it, to give it to you straight. So... If that's the stage that you're uncomfortable with, you probably want to consider either pushing that boundary or not ever publishing because you're you have to accept that you're going to be getting feedback on your work. So if you're an introvert and you're uncomfortable with that, that is something that you're going to have to deal with. And I was like that in the beginning. I was very nervous about what everybody thought and I didn't want to share my work with anybody, which is probably, <laughs> looking back, it was probably a fair assessment because at the time, my writing, well, it, it sucked. 
because I hadn't taken any classes, I hadn't do any, done really any um, education yet, you know, in the, in the way of researching publishing or uh, quality writing or anything. I just had written my story and I didn't really want people to read it, even though everybody was like, oh, I want to read your story. <laughs> that, you know, so you kind of have to be um, realistic with yourself, I think, in that sense. Uh, okay, so on that topic, um, most writers are snobby. This is a stereotype that I have not found to be true at all, which is kind of funny because it contradicts the being introverts. Um, introverts can be snobby, yes, but most of the time I think the people that are snobby tend to be extroverted. Uh, I really haven't met anybody that that is like this. I met one person that admitted that the only reason they were writing was because they wanted to share their intellect with the world and better the world through their writing, which, okay, I mean, to some degree, you have to, you know, you have to admit there are self-help books that really do, I think, benefit the readers. And there are some fiction writers that I think their stories can motivate people and, um, you know, they're, I think they probably do in some ways better the world, though indirectly with their writing. But I really haven't met a lot of people that feel or that act like they're better than other people as writers. Um, so I, I would say that's probably 98% of the time not the case in the writing community. So if you're worried about being inferior to other writers that have already published books, don't really worry about it because they've all been where you are when you're starting out. Don't stress about it at all because they're they're going to be 100% supportive because they're, you know, like, <laughs> I've been there. I know the struggle. I know how you feel. It's okay. Just keep going. If you keep your momentum up, that's what's going to carry you through from being just a writer to being an author. So, conversely, uh, you know, to being, like, snobby, um, I think... Uh, the writers are eccentric, and um, writers have to have suffered to be able to write quality work. Are some others that are maybe on the on the opposite end of of being snobby. Uh, you know, it's it's a I think a common thing with art, at least from my my other um, art <laughs> experiences. Um, I do think that it is common for an artist who has suffered to be regarded as maybe more um, qualified because the art comes from their pain or whatever. This can be true, but it's more from, I think, the story perspective. You know, if someone is writing a story about their pain or about what they've been through, then that's going to be more respected because it has a truth behind it. But I don't think that suffering as an as an individual necessarily makes your writing better, because the uh, that is a skill that you have to learn, you know, um, in regard to um, line editing and that sort of thing. So if we're talking about the way that someone describes something, it may be maybe uh, more accurate. 
if they are describing uh, pain or a trauma because they've actually been there and done that rather than someone who is writing indirectly about it because they haven't actually experienced it. So I think I think it's, you know, that's kind of a, a teeter-totter there. But in that sense, um, I guess I should say uh, writers are often known for having to kill their darlings or murder their babies, which is just a horrible turn of phrase. <laughs> um, but that means getting rid of characters, lines, scenes that are uh, like your favorite, you worked really hard on them, but they don't support the story and they need to be trimmed out. Uh, that is something that, like that phrase is something that writers commonly say and there's a there's a reason for it because when you're writing a book, you don't want anything that doesn't support the plot, right? <laughs> you got to keep the story moving. You can't go off on these like fun little detours and stuff if they don't eventually support the plot. Now you can always backweave things, you know, if there's something that like you a scene that you really love and you you just cannot bring yourself to cut it out, that's fine, but you have to give it a purpose within the book. Otherwise, you're going to be hearing this a lot. Um and you know, it's going to turn into a broken record until you either make that scene or that character or that line fit the story and the main plot or you cut it out. <laughs> so <laughs> if you hear that, uh, kill your darlings, that is a common thing that writers do say. I'm not sure that it's a stereotype, but uh, it is definitely something that is commonly associated with writers. And there's there's a reason for it. Um what I recommend is you cut all those little pieces out that aren't helping the story, put them in a separate document, and then you can come back to those later. And you never know, you might look at it and go, oh my gosh, my writing really sucked back then. Look at how far I've come. Woo, that's awesome. Or you might see it and you might think, oh my gosh, this would make a really good story. And then it ends up becoming the central piece to a completely separate story. So you don't have to destroy <laughs> your hard work. You can just grab it, move it somewhere else, and save it for later. Now, on that, I think I would say not all writers have to be creative, even though it's common for, for I think, in, in any art field um, that, you, you know, you have to be creative to be able to make any form of art, even, you know, like paintings to literary. Um, not true. I have met several writers that do everything by... Uh, a sort of playlist. I need to have this many characters. In Act 1, this is going to happen. Act 2 is going to be all about this. And then I'm going to close with this. And I want the peak moment, the climax, to be this twist. You know, and they just, they bullet list everything that they want to do. And then they just go through and they write it all. And and they're very, um, I think, practical about the way that they tackle writing a novel. It's It's like a job. It becomes very... Um, mechanical to them. Uh, and so they're, they're the plotters, and then there's the pansters, which is, I think, more the stereotype creative person, you know, where they just, they write whatever comes to mind, and then they figure out how to tie everything together uh, later. But that's not the only way to be a writer. If you are well-read... And being well-read is another stereotype of writers. Um, that's great. But I don't think that you need to be 
diversely read to be able to write effectively. Um, you know, if you have a genre that you really like and you really only read like YA fantasy novels and that that's just your thing, um, that's really all you need to know if you're going to be writing YA fantasy. Now, if you want to read, or I mean, if you want to write something else, you want to write a different genre that you haven't, that you haven't read in, then you do need to read several novels within that genre to understand the tropes and the expectations of the readership. But do you have to be super smart and like be able to quote like a million different books? No, I don't think so. And it, you know, it's so hard these days because we have so much to choose from that I think you either are going to be, you know, reading classics or you're going to be reading any one of millions of books from, you know, the last whatever decade or so that we've really kind of uh, popularized the online uh, digital reading experience. So, you know, it, I think it's hard to say any one person is well read anymore because there's so many options. Um, everybody's definition of well read is going to be different. And I don't think it's fair to hold yourself to an expectation that is, I mean, you know, it, there's no really w way to put it in a box. So read what is important to what you want to write so that you understand how your book will compare to the other popular titles or the titles that are similar similar to what you're wanting to write because it is important that you know um, your specific genre and subgenre groups. You know, maybe you don't want to write the next whatever <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey or Harry Potter or whatever. Um, you know, maybe you don't want to write those kind of books. You want to write books for... Uh, smaller subgroup of people that, you know, a smaller readership and that you just want those dedicated fans and you don't want to shoot for comparing yourself to like insanely famous people. And that's totally fine. Just know what you want, where you want your books to fall, and then make sure you read within that category um, of, you know, uh, readers. So you on top of all of that, <laughs> we're getting through um, being creative, being well-read, those sorts of things. Uh, you don't have to have a creative writing degree. A lot of people do. A lot of people have like a degree in literature or a PhD in literature, which is great. That's, that's wonderful. But you don't need that to be a good writer. I do think that you need to have some level of uh, coursework, um, even online, I think it's good to see what um, is expected of you in general as a writer and, you know, with your with your writing quality. Because you don't want to write a story for adults and it comes out sounding like it's meant for middle schoolers. You know, like there's, there are expectations for the different age groups. And, uh, you know, you want to know when to break certain rules and when not to break them. A lot of people use uh, things like purple prose and alliteration are really bad for your book, but you can do them in certain instances because it'll it'll fit. Or um, you you can use um, polysyndeton and asyndeton, and in the right way, you know where you you're putting a string of words with uh, commas and no and in there, or you're using and 
and no commas. So those sorts of things are their techniques that you can use, but it's best to take a class if you if you don't have any literary like education. And I had a creative writing class, but I yeah, I don't I don't know that I <laughs> did that great in it. I don't remember it was so long ago. Um, you know, but I think it's important to actually get some training in the writing process. So you can do that for free. There's tons and tons of um you know, like websites that detail, like, this is how you use this tactic, or um, this is how you want to avoid, you know, this pitfall in in writing. Um, Those sorts of things are good to know, because it'll uh, advance your skill as a writer. But I don't think that you need to have, you know, a huge, like, you don't need to have a bachelor's degree in uh, literature or anything like that to be able to be considered a good writer. And I guess on that note, um, writing doesn't necessarily come easy to to people, as even good writers. Um, you know, if you're writing a genre that you haven't written before, or if you're writing about a character type that you haven't written before, or in a place you've never been, it can still be hard because you know, you have to figure out the right description. So you're going to be working and reworking your book continually. So, I mean, you're not going to write a novel in a day. That's another thing. Like, I don't even understand how these come to be, but um, these were some things, some of the stereotypes that were offered by friends online. Um, You know, there's this kind of back and forth between writers are procrastinators and they never get anything done. And then writers write a book in a day. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you can't, you're going to be in the middle. You're never going to be able to write an entire book in a day. That's just impossible. You know, you, you've got to plot it out. You've got your chapters. You've got, you know, uh, all the characters and the scenes and everything that you have to write in between. You got to go through the editing process. You got to get your feedback, edit it again, you know, proof it before you publish it. I mean, that's a lot of work to do. You're not going to get it done in one single day. A lot of people, I think, procrastinate because it is a lot of work and, you know, you got life. You got, you know, another job. Hopefully uh, you're making some money somehow because writers really don't make a lot of money, even though I think, oddly enough, uh, you know, when, when writing is considered not a real job, how then does a person make a ton of money? That's another stereotype. So you're, I mean, you're not going to make a ton in royalties, so you have to have another job, you know, and most people have families and a lot of people have kids or they have fur kids like me and, you know, they take up time, you know, and you're writing and they climb it in your lap and you're like, I want to go outside and go party. And you're like, oh, I'm like in the middle of a scene. Can't you just leave me alone? Like it, it happens. So I don't think it's really fair to, to put yourself in, in any one of those categories. I don't think people write books in a day, but I also don't think a lot of the time that writers are as much procrastinators as uh, a lot of people, or even writers, say that they are. I think they say, oh, I'm procrastinating today because I don't really want to work on it. No, you're probably just freaking tired from life. <laughs> I mean, when you're writing, it is a very intense process. Um, creating an entire world and an entire, like, you're creating essentially a a literary movie in your head, and then you have to convert that to writing that other people can understand and then make that movie 
back in their own head. So, you know, it's not something that is just like done willy nilly. Like it takes a lot of effort. So I don't blame people for, you know, like I, I call it processing time. (laughs) I don't call it procrastination, but maybe that's just me. Um, you know, I think I, one thing that I do think is important and, you know, I think a lot of times people say, uh, writers can only write what they know, but that I do not think is true. I think a lot of writers write about what they want to experience or, um, something that sounds fun and interesting and new and, you know, you know, I mean, cause <laughs> what about fantasy and sci-fi? Like, no, no writers know what it's like to fly on a spaceship and go fight a battle on Mars. Like, that's not something that's realistic. So we can't just write what we know. We have to be able to move a little bit beyond that. I do think the stereotype that writers have to have various experiences to write well, I do think that one applies to some degree. Because it is, uh, you know, even if it's so maybe you can't leave your house or your apartment or wherever you are. Um, you know, maybe maybe you're kind of isolated, especially during this pandemic. I mean, who can go anywhere and do anything really right now? Uh, you know, but if, you, if you're um, studying a lot of different things online, maybe you're watching uh, people building houses or you're uh, watching people building spaceships or, or whatever you're inter- you know, interested in, um, or you're learning new languages or you're studying... Um, some culture in a country that you really want to go visit, but you can't right now because of the whole quarantine process and everything costs money and nobody has any jobs. Um, you know, that I think does make a difference because if you haven't exposed yourself to a lot of the world, and I can say this now because I'm from a really small town, and I tell you, when I left, my entire concept of the planet and the kinds of people in it, everything changed. And we travel now for my husband's job. So we've been like all over the country and I've been other in other countries. And, um, you know, so that has completely changed my perspective on, on people, on the world, on the way we all work together and the way we fight each other. And that has definitely helped my concept of um, character interactions and how certain things, certain situations might affect different people. I'm not limited to my, my small town (laughs) mindset, you know, where everybody's kind of a certain way. And I went back to my hometown and it's totally different now. Um, you know, that's, it, it's changed because my perspective has changed and we've also had a ton of people move in, but you know, um, I do think it's important to expose yourself to things that are uncomfortable to things that challenge your beliefs, because then you'll know if, if you can, you know, stand for your beliefs, then I think they are true for you. If they're challenged and they're torn down, then I think that changes our perspective of how we view ourselves and how we view each other. And I do think that's really critical in creating a full, well-rounded story. And for me, I want to make sure that my characters are extremely multidimensional and I've had people 
actually had a review that was really horrible and she said all of my characters had multiple personality disorder <laughs> and that I should take some psychology classes and I was like excuse me I have two degrees in public health and human sciences I spent eight years in college don't talk to me like that you clearly have not <laughs> thought about this but I had to then reassess myself because I was wrong in a lot of ways um, and it took me some time then in that from that experience that was uncomfortable to uh you know go through my book and and rework it and figure out where where the breakdown was you know when you're creating something that's outside of yourself it's going to take a lot of extra time and care to make sure that all of the seams are tied up and that you don't have any holes in your story which is why diverse experiences i think do help now, you don't have to go out and travel to be able to do this, but I do think it's important to have a, a spread of knowledge that you can pull from. And then, you know, if you have an idea, like, I want to write about whatever, and I don't know anything about it, then you do your research. You have to do your research. Because if you get it wrong and someone reads your book and they're like, this is not how wildfires are put out, Missy, <laughs> you need to go do your research, then, you know, like, my book Wildfire would be then... Uh, torn apart on on social media and everything um you know so it's really important that you take the time to go through and and at least if you don't know it you know check your facts or get someone who is an expert in the field to check your facts or uh talk to you about you know the concepts or the process or whatever that i do think is important but i don't think you necessarily have to have the experience to uh, go out and physically feel it. Though I have met some writers that do intentionally harm themselves and put themselves in insane situations because they want to know that feeling. They want to, to see the, the uh, path that their thoughts take while they're in, in the, uh, the experience, which is just amazing to me. I think, I think that's crazy. Some of the things that they've done are pretty insane, but, um, that I do think really makes for good writing, but that's not the only way to be a good writer. I do think when it comes to writing every day, it's not necessary that it's every day, but I do think habitually writing or making, a a point of trying to write something um, when it comes to your mind, you know, on a on a note app, on your phone or your computer, your tablet or whatever. If you want to write something or if you have an urge to do it or if you're just sitting around not doing anything, fill that little bit of time with writing because um, you're not going to get better if you don't continue to write. So, you know, um, even if it's just a few lines, Keeping that part of your mind engaged, I think, really does make a big difference when you get farther down the road. Um, you know, say you, you've written a book and it's 50,000 words and then you write another book and it's 50,000 words. Now you've got 100,000 words, right? Well, if you write a little bit here and there in between, that's great. You know, maybe you get 100 words in every other month or whatever, you just get a, a few minutes to yourself and you just write a poem or whatever. Maybe you're into poetry or maybe you're into short stories or flash fiction or whatever. That's great. If you got in a hundred thousand words though, 
or 200,000 words between your books, every single time you're writing, you're adding to your experience list. You're adding to your, your practice sheet. And that is going to make a big difference when you get then later to your, to your later publications. The first book is going to suck. <laughs> it's going to, and you're going to have to edit it way more than any of the later books. So, you know, that's something that I think if you start with a, uh, you start with one book and you write for several years and then you publish it, you're probably going to be better off than if you just, you know, burst out a book and then publish it right away without really going through the process, um, taking the time to refine your writing skills. Even when you do all of this, it's your first experience. It's not going to be perfect. So um, getting in that little extra bit every day is going to make a huge difference. I'm not sure that I would <laughs> say that this last one is a stereotype, but um, because it, I think, I mean, we all have to, to do this in some way or another. Everybody has to drink, right? <laughs> now, when I say that, I don't mean alcohol necessarily, but there are a lot of stereotypes that involve creative people, specifically writers, uh, who are always drinking wine or beer or coffee. And, you know, I mean, I drink a lot of tea. I'm not an alcohol person because I I get like a quarter of a beer and I almost fall in a fire pit. So, you know, that's one of those, like, I just don't go there because it doesn't work for me. But there's a stereotype that uh, all writers are, uh, <laughs> they're drinkers. So, you know, that one's something that you, you know, you kind of have to be aware of. I think it has turned more into a joke than anything because online, at least in the writers communities that I'm involved in, we laugh about it now. And I mean, like my, my email address is, uh, uh, related to coffee drinking, because you are going to find a lot of the time when you're working and you're trying to write a book that you need that coffee or that, uh, you know, tea or alcohol or whatever you're interested in just to get through that chunk of writing time because you're exhausted, you know? Uh, some people need to wind down. Some of us want to get wound up, I guess, <laughs> depending on the kind of person that you are. Um, but that is something that I think uh, is turned more comical than serious. Uh, I remember years ago when I first started writing and I first started getting involved in line, everybody was posting pictures of working on their book with a glass of wine, you know, and it was like, that's how you do it. And I just thought to myself, like, but I, I can't write when I'm intoxicated, just like some people can't write when they're not intoxicated. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's personal preference, but that's just one of those things that's kind of been, uh, humorous, at least in the writing community. So I hope that some of these um, stereotypes and my discussion of them has helped you at least consider uh, what you might be confronted with and also see sort of the insanity of them because a lot of them contradict each other, you know, as being um, introverts and homebodies, but being uh, eccentric, you know, I mean, you can't, some of them just don't, they don't fit. You know, you can't write a book in a day and be a procrastinator. <laughs> the, the two cannot exist, co you know, coexist. Um, so, you know, just kind of think about things before you really get into writing. Be aware of what, what people are going to think. Um, 
you know, your, your friends and family don't have to know that you're writing a book. Um, I started out actually very self-conscious about that. And I, I, uh, created a pseudonym to keep it quiet for a while. And then eventually the pseudonym became, uh, what I was using officially for my fiction. And I change it a little bit for each, uh, uh, genre of fiction. And then I keep my real name for my nonfiction. And that has actually worked out in my favor. But in the beginning, I was very, um, self-conscious about it. And sometimes I still am because there's some writing that, you know, I don't feel like maybe is right, the right kind of thing to be um, sharing with certain people because that's just not their thing. And and that's okay. But, it you know, it's good to know, I think, what you expect your of your writing experience, what your goals are, and some of the challenges that you might encounter when it comes to writing because it it is a very time intensive process and you know you are going to get to the point where you're like I got to finish this scene and your spouse is looking at you like well we were supposed to go on a date so you know what are we doing and you know and you're going to have to be prepared for certain things like that and and so you know I hope that I hope that this has helped and if you have any questions, um, you're welcome to contact me. I'm more than happy to put up another podcast uh, with whatever um, questions I get. Um, if there's something else that you guys want me to discuss. I am new to the podcasting thing, so I probably stutter a whole heck of a lot. But that is also, this is practice for me. Um, I'm a very scattered person and uh, high, like my, my brain is going on like six things at once. <laughs> so, you know, some of us are very calm and methodical and I am totally not that kind of person. So I apologize <laughs> in advance and after the fact, I guess. Um, but anyway, I hope it was helpful and, uh, you know, contact me if you have any questions and then um, I hope you guys are all safe. Hello again, and welcome to Indie Up, Self-Publishing Lessons. Today we're going to talk about your first book. But before we get started, I want you to think a moment about your future writing career. A lot of the things that I'm going to mention today are not rules, they're guidelines. And they're guidelines for people who are willing to sacrifice some level of creative freedom for marketability. And I say it like that because a lot of the times when we write things initially, especially with our first book, it's not going to come out necessarily as professional as the readers are going to expect. And you want to make sure that you have a, a, a readership that likes your books and well, you won't have a readership if they don't like your books. Um, but you, when you're starting out with your first book, you want people to have a good impression of it. You want them to feel like it's professional, it's been edited, they put a lot of work into this, and they like it, so they want to read the next books. So these are guidelines to help you achieve that level of professionalism and hooking your readers so that they will continue to buy your work in the future. Does that mean you have to follow all of these? No, it absolutely does not. And the reason is because there are oftentimes very well-known books that have major problems from this list, but they have something else that makes them extremely unique or enticing to readers, and 
so readers will overlook some of these concerns to be able to enjoy the, the other components of the story. I do highly recommend that you go through the entire process of editing with a professional because they're going to teach you along the way. They're going to catch things that you don't. So make sure that you you're, take this first book and you go through developmental editing, which is like plot structure, all of the big overarching concerns, line editing, which teaches you how to focus on each line, make sure your subject and verb agreements are all good, that everything flows together, that your voice is consistent, your narrative voice. Uh, and then you're going to go through copy editing, which gets more into the um, mechanics of it. So probably more subject verb agreements, um, punctuation, grammar, that sort of thing. Every one of those stages, get your book into that final completed document and then proof it and go through it and read it one more time to see if anything stands out. Go through that entire process with a professional. That's my recommendation because they're going to point out some things that you didn't even know were problems. Your first draft, your first book, they're going to feel like an amazing accomplishment. And it is. It absolutely is. But it's not going to be your best work. So it's really important that you learn how to remove yourself from your first book emotionally because your first book is not a child, it is a project. And I know that's hard, it was hard for me. And I remember getting my edits back from my editor in the beginning and just crying because I felt so overwhelmed. Of course, me, I'm a girl, <laughs> I'm gonna cry. <laughs> I'm not saying all women cry, but it was very stressful for me because I had worked so hard, I had put years of work into this book. And after that first moment, then I realized, okay, I have to step back from this. It's not my child. It's just a project. Eventually, I want to write more books. I need to become comfortable with this process. It's important to get feedback. Whether you do that from an editor or if you can't afford it, get it from critique partners. Do swaps with other writers who write in related genres to you. Because they're going to catch a lot of things that editors are going to catch. They may not catch everything because they're not editors. They are fellow writers. But they will be able to look at your book from the perspective of it being a project. And they'll be able to point out in specific detail some of the things that are not working as well as they could. I caution you against using fans, friends, and family for quality feedback. They can tell you this character doesn't work right or the plot is great, but it just, I was hoping for more at the end. They may not be able to necessarily give you that specific feedback that teaches you how to change your book so that it is more motivational or more inspiring, more... Um, um, startling at the end. They can be used for beta readers. So after you complete the editing process and you polished your book, you can then do a beta reader session where you send out essentially your 
fairly well edited, polished book to friends, families, fans, and get their, their feedback then. Because if they say, well, this isn't as satisfying as I hoped it would be, maybe what it is is you just need to, to intensify some of the terms that are you're using when you are in that final climactic moment. That's something that you can change a little more easily when the book is polished rather than when you're in the beginning stages having them um, give you that sort of feedback. You might change some little pieces, but it's not the actual overarching problem. So you kind of want to do this in these major stages first, the editing where you're looking at structure, scene, plot, does every element have to be in there? Does every character have to be in there? And then you're sort of refining it and getting down to that point where you can then go in and just change one word at a time rather than an entire scene. But feedback is really important. And when you're starting your first book or or you've written it, make sure you do it in something that you're familiar with. Because a lot of the time, um, you know, you when you're starting out, you don't maybe have as wide a grasp of possible... Um, genres and and whatnot as uh, a writer who has written in multiple genres um you know you might read you might have a favorite one that you like to read in start with that because that's what you know you know the tropes you know the reader expectations you know what you expect out of that particular genre and that's going to make it just easier for you to focus your efforts with your first book and then you know if you get the process down and you feel comfortable with it you can move on and start in another genre. Just make sure that you have read in the genre that you're going to write. It's important when you're writing to make sure you have one consistent point of view. So first person point of view is I did this or I said that or I say this depending on the tense you write in if it's past or present or um Point of, view, point of view two, so second person, is you did that or you said that. Point of view for third, and there's third and third omniscient, is he did that or she said that. Omniscient also includes all character thought, everything in the entire situation. So it is completely 100% involved in this in in the character. And it's important for you to keep consistent from beginning to end. So if you start the book showing character thought, make sure you show character thought at the end. If you start with character thought and you don't show it at the end, then readers are going to feel like they're being pushed back from the story. So stick with one point of view. Now when it comes to perspective, that can change. You can change your perspective from chapter to chapter or from scene to scene as long as you provide some sort of visual break. Perspective is just told from each character. So um, Toby can be a perspective in chapter one. Bennett can be a perspective in chapter two. And Marcy can be chapter three. And it can all then the story would be oriented from that character's perspective. Point of view and perspective often get jumbled up and, and it's totally understandable because they, they sound a lot like they're the same thing. 
but point of view is the way that you narrate it and perspective is who that narration is coming from. Now, when we talk about breaks, this is another thing that's really important. Uh, chapter breaks or mid-chapter breaks with a little asterisk or, or a space are used to show the difference between a scene, an event, or a character perspective most commonly. Make sure that you break the story into those pieces if you're changing any one of those components because it will help the reader understand that, okay, now we're switching modes and I'm in this person's perspective or uh, we're, now we're in this other state over here and we're doing this other thing over here. Give them that visual break of the chapter or the, the mid-chapter break and it will help them uh, compartmentalize each component of the book. And then when you're doing that too, you're going to be able to then add to the tension and conflict, which is another component that's really important in the book. You don't want to spend a lot of time floating around in a space experiencing it without having an end goal or a direction that the story is heading. So this is the kill your darlings, murder your babies concept. You might have written something and it's really beautiful and you love this scene or you love the description of this character and the way that they're looking at this other character, but if it doesn't move the plot forward, it needs to be cut out because it's just distracting the reader from what they want to get to and they're going to start skipping chunks that you spent hours writing and hours editing and money editing. Cut all that stuff out, get the reader on track for the plot. Use the chapter and mid-chapter breaks to create extra tension and conflict. When you start a chapter, you want to bring in a hook. When you end a chapter, you want to bring in a hook. You want the reader to read that first couple of lines in the chapter and go, oh my gosh, okay, this is what's going to happen. I need to know what the, the end result is of this situation. But then when you're getting to the end of the chapter, you need to promise them something more to come. So, um, you know, you want to leave them hanging with a question or um, try to evoke some element of hope or fear or um, concern or worry for the characters. And then they'll want to turn the page to read the next chapter. Adding twists will get easier as you move along in your writing. There are a lot of different kinds of twists. I'm sure you've heard of red herrings. Um, those sorts of things will be pivotal, especially when you get closer to the, the peak. This is, you know, where you're sort of um, misleading the reader, not necessarily being an unreliable narrator. That is one. But taking the characters a particular direction and then something happens and now all of that progress that they've made is then diverted and sent down a different course. That's essentially, you know, you've got twists that that's what their purpose is, is to, to zigzag the story. Putting them in can be really good, but it can also be a hindrance if you put too many in or if they're not the right kind of twists. So that's something that you'll want to make sure that you're you're really researching and looking into before you apply them. But they can help the tension and conflict. They can build it, but they can also break it down. So it's really important to have a system for organizing all of this. 
you need to make sure that your plot is in order chronologically everything lines up you want to make sure that your chapters are broken in a way that makes sense that your terms are staying consistent in what they are their spelling and their capitalization from beginning to end to include character names all character info from backstory to what they wear to their interests to the things that make them tick all of that stuff needs to stay consistent so you need to have a way that you you organize this and it doesn't matter what program you work in if it's word or scrivener or evernote or whatever you like to use just make sure that you have some system for it i do a lot of my organizing on notepads because i like to work on it sometimes when my computer is off so for me that helps because i can sit down and i can flip through my notes and just think about my story and that is another important component when you are writing your story, if you find that you, you're sitting and staring at your screen a lot, if you're doing it that way, um, I know there are still a few people that like to use typewriters, which I just think is super cool. But if you find yourself sitting there and like, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know where this is going, then just kind of step away from the, the uh, computer or typewriter for a little bit and just think about the story. If you spend some time conceptualizing what you would like to write or the direction you'd like it to go, um, what a character is going to say to another character or how they feel about a particular situation, if you can have that sort of prepared where you, you, know, you take a few minutes to kind of think about it before you sit down to write, you're going to have a more fulfilling writing experience. If you're lacking inspiration, I recommend that you try something new. So... Go to a new park, go for a walk in a new place in town, watch a new movie, read a different kind of book, go on a vacation to somewhere new, which I know is kind of hard right now, but there are a lot of places you can still go and look from your car. <laughs> um, anything that's new is going to bring fresh stimulation and sensations and thoughts, and that will then help advance your writing. If you're really isolated, research something new on your computer. Watch videos, DIYs, um, you know, read uh, a book on something that you never have before, like, I don't know, uh, astrophysics or whatever, mutagens or something. <laughs> you know, do, do something that is out of your normal. And if that doesn't work, Go to a site like maybe Pinterest or Google Images and type in a concept that is related to your book and just see the related images that come up and kind of surf through them, look at any diagrams or anything, and maybe it'll bring to mind a concept or a term or um, an event or something that might then open up a new realm within your story because a lot of times we have a sort of narrowed concept of particular events or things because that's all we've experienced or all we know. If you want inspiration, sometimes the best way is to go dig deeper into those concepts that we think we already know and you'll find that there's something else related to it that you can then research and kind of go that direction. It's hard for us to know literally everything about everything because we're humans and we only have two eyes. We don't have, you know, like 
We're not like bees or bugs or whatever where we can see every which way. So we have to be realistic about our limitations. Now, when it comes to the writing, there are quite a few things, techniques and things that we use that aren't as effective in selling the book or selling the story to the readers. Having tons of backstory, info dumps, starting out with dreams or monologues in the very beginning is not the most engaging for readers. You want to have, usually you want to have in that first line, who wants what, why can't they have it, and why should the reader care? If you can put those those three things in the first paragraph, or two, ideally the first paragraph, you're going to hook your readers a lot more quickly. If you provide a lot of backstory or scene setting or whatever, it can be beautiful, but the reader doesn't know why they're reading it. And they're going to want to either skip or they're going to put the book down. Now, there are sometimes, this is one of those situations where if you have a really intense narrative style or something else about your writing that makes it really engaging, then sometimes readers can overlook some of these things. Um, Prologues are one of those things that a lot of editors are going to say, uh-uh, nope, no prologue, nobody's going to read it. So what I do is I call it chapter zero. Because then I can kind of bring in a little piece that I think readers really need to know before they get themselves involved in the story. But you still have to make that prologue really interesting and hook the reader right away. I actually cut that out of my first book and I regretted it for years. And then I finally said, you know what? Nope, I'm doing this. I'm going to put it in there. And now I have consistent people reading my book. So it's not always necessarily right to do exactly what the editor suggests. Sometimes you have to find a middle ground because you have to be realistic about the rules and the expectations of the reader and what needs to happen for that reader to be engaged in the story. If you can pull yourself emotionally back from your book enough to look at it as a project and as a potential hook for readers, then you can kind of be more constructive in the way that you're writing the book. And you can say, this is what they need because they need to have this piece of understanding when they get to chapter one. But at the same time, you have to know that 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 prologue has to be more intense than chapter one. Because if it's not, if they see, oh, it's a prologue, they're just going to skip it. Most of the time, from what I understand, people skip prologues. A lot of the people that I know personally don't because we understand as writers that it means something and there's a reason that it's there. But readers will often go, I, I don't want a backstory. I just want to get to the story. That's why I picked up the book. So not everything that uh, comes to you as feedback is necessarily something that you have to implement. It's your choice. Just know that it was said for a reason. If that reason is justifiable and it's one that you agree with and understand, then you probably want to look at making the change. If it's not something that you agree with and understand or you think that there is maybe um, something that they're missing, then that needs to be opened up for conversation and discussion so that you can figure out the best method of moving on from that. Another big one is purple prose, and I'm not going to go into this one too much in detail because it's it's pretty open-ended, but purple prose is one of those things that the line is so ornate 
that it draws more attention to itself than the story. Like it takes the reader away from the story so that the reader has to focus specifically on that line. So it's like, instead of saying, he walked down the dark hallway, the the purple prose version would be something like, he ambled slowly down the caligonous hallway. So caligonous doesn't need to be in there because dark is sufficient. And ambled, yeah, you know, if you're writing he walked and he walked and he walked, you might want to change the word out, yeah. But if you're picking something deliberately for it to be different, that's not necessarily the most effective or efficient method of writing. Because you always want to be precise and we want to be concise. So you want to have the right words that are the clearest words you can get, but you also want it to be to the point. You know, you don't need to have a bunch of other fluff and stuff in there. You want to cut the fat out. You want it to move the reader forward. Always focus on moving the reader forward. Don't thesaurus too much, is basically what I'm saying. The biggest word is not necessarily the best word. If you need the word to be bigger because it is more precise, consider the balance between it being a big word, you know, that maybe not every reader is going to understand, and it being precise. And find, you know, between those those two ends of the spectrum, find the best word then from there, and then, then you'll be able to move on, and hopefully you won't be in the purple prose category. But everybody's version of purple prose is different, because everybody's literary level or understanding comprehension is different. One person who's maybe graduated college and has tons of research degrees may not actually know a lot of those terms, which was my situation. I knew a lot of terms, but my terms were all research-based in public health and human sciences. So, you know, I knew a lot of, like, medical terminology and whatnot, which that was all comfortable to me. But for a standard fiction reader, they may not understand, you know, what the Krebs cycle is. So, you know, they, you know they're like, well, I don't know what this is. Can somebody please explain this to me? And then they got to sp spend time looking up those terms. So it's important to understand your reader expectations and then try to avoid purple prose as it would relate to them. A couple of other issues. Um, overload of characters. If you have too many characters, especially in that first chapter, then readers are not going to be able to identify with them or relate to them. You need to make sure that the characters, if you're going to have a lot of them, are introduced slowly in, you know, two or three in the beginning and then maybe a couple more and then a couple more but do it in stages just like you do your description you don't want to stand as a as a narrator from one character perspective and just list all of the things about a particular character you want to spread them out show the character's dress and then show the character's mannerisms and then you know their quirks but throughout the story you know, in in those first few moments, the first couple of chapters that a character is getting to know another character, rather than just dumping them all in one particular paragraph. Uh, that can then feel too uh, jolting for the readers, like a paragraph here about the character, and then a paragraph about the scene, and then a paragraph about the situation. You know, that can, can, um, can become um, too, like, kind of blocked out. You want to sort of filter in details throughout things. So, and if that's something that you're not really that great at yet, that's okay. What I recommend is you write it like that, and then you just take lines and you just start moving them around and see which um, method works best for you. You know, you, you kind of uh, take a few lines from each paragraph, mix them with the others, 
until they flow in a way that feels comfortable or comfortable or smooth for you. And that will then be more, um, how do you say, fluid reading for your customers. On the note of characters, head hopping. So going from one character to another within a scene. Uh, this was uh, an issue with perspective. You want to make sure you have those breaks, chapter and mid-chapter breaks if you have them, for each character that you're writing from. If you're narrating from Toby, you don't want to switch from one paragraph to the next and talking from Marcy's perspective. You want to go Toby's chapter and then Marcy's chapter because that helps readers compartmentalize the story. And it also helps them relate individually to the characters and and not have to sort of figure out like oh wait okay now we're switching now we're in marcy's perspective it can be hard for that you don't want it you don't want reading to be work you want it to be fun so and fun is easy and carefree right using too many formalities is another issue hi bye thanks i appreciate that yes ma'am whatever. Those are all things that if they're said too much can then make it feel, you know, like, uh, like there's not a lot of, of value in, in the story. Another one is dialogue tags. He said, she said, I say, if you can take a string of dialogue and mix it with a line of description, you're going to be more effective in the way that you're telling the story and you can you can kind of cut that out because it gets really boring when it's like hi he said bye she said instead of like hey he walked over and hugged her it feels more natural that way but you have to make sure that you're referencing the character that's speaking within the line of description as it follows or pre uh, precedes the dialogue to make that work if your story is too long, people will put it down. They need to have a certain level of satisfaction within a certain number of words. And this is something that comes in with genres that you know. If you know science fiction, you know that it's going to be like 90,000 to probably 110,000. You're prepared for a longer story. If you're familiar with uh, romance, romance can actually be quite a bit shorter and still be satisfying. So... If you're interested in epics, then you're you're way high up there in the word count. And it, epics can be, like, forever. <laughs> and, and they'll be satisfying. But your readers are going to expect to see the characters, like in romance, the characters have to get together or they have to have a fight by a certain point in a story at a certain number of chapters or a certain word count, depending on which subgenre you're writing in. Science fiction is going to then need... A different word count. It's going to have probably 10 or 20,000 more words typically before the reader's going to get to the climax as compared to romance. And I speak from these because these are the, the ones that I write and I write in romance and I write science fiction fantasy. So, you know, knowing those is going to help you then achieve the goal that your readers are going to expect by the right point in time. If the story is too long, they're going to put it down, they're going to get bored, and they're going to put it down. I mean, it, Either way, another one that you want to try to avoid is alliteration, where you're starting um, two words or more 
right next to each other with the same letter. And sometimes it happens. And sometimes it, it is efficient. You know, you're going you're gonna to say uh, the monkey's monotonous uh, music. It all starts with the same letter. And that can work. And it can be something that is really... Um, it stands out to the reader. Some situations will actually benefit from it, just like uh, like repetition um, and using all commas. I think I mentioned this in in the first session. Polysyndeton and asyndeton, where you're you're using only commas without the and, you know, in a list, or you're using only and in a list and no commas. Um, that is one of those techniques that can be used effectively in the right in the right situation and that's something that you have to do on a case-by-case basis another one too many curses i have read some books where it feels like every single page has a curse and now don't get me wrong like in my normal life outside of this i curse a whole heck of a heap but in a book it can become dull And I say that because when you do something enough times, the effectiveness of it is significantly reduced because it isn't, it just doesn't hold the same power that it did in the beginning when it was first said. So when you're, when you're putting curses in, and if you're doing any YA or younger, then you're not, this is not a thing for you. But for those of you that are writing adult fiction, um, you definitely want to limit the number of curses. Even if it's something that you think a character is going to say on a regular basis, swap it out until it's really important with he cursed or, you know, it's something else that's maybe similar that isn't quite, you know, like he might um, swear up at the stars or something instead of saying the F-bomb all of the time. Because if you've got an F-bomb on every single page, then it's just like, okay... You know, even for someone like me, where I'm totally comfortable with it, and I know exactly, you know, how people feel behind it when they say a curse word, it's just not as potent when it is repetitive. Contrived details. This is something that is is also very important. When you're writing a story, it's easy to set up, you know, uh, the characters, the scenes, the plot and everything. But sometimes you're going to put in a detail and it's not going to have enough back weaving in the story or enough support earlier in the story for it to make sense. So uh, a contrived situation would be like they're in this impossible um, situation. The villain has taken over the town and everything. And then suddenly a superhero appears out of nowhere and just everything's all fine because he fights the villain and then everybody's safe. So then the reader is left wondering like, well, why the heck did I read this entire story if the superhero is just going to come in and save the day? Like you have to, you have to bring in tiny little details from the beginning that support the ultimate change. And then that will pull it out of the contrived list and it'll become then a supported element of the story. But that's that's the point. So sometimes when you're, re- you're uh, writing a story, you're going to come up with these things and they may not all necessarily be supported. That does not mean that you need to cut it out. It just means that you need to provide reason back through the story that supports then that eventual change. Because I don't know about everybody, but a lot of time when I write, I'll, I'll have a concept and then something will get to the point where the characters don't feel like they have enough of challenge. So I'll throw a challenge in there that is completely 
like off the wall and doesn't make any sense for the entire story but it's like I know this is exactly what it needs to be so then in order for that to be in the right place and to feel like it fits I have to then say okay this element is what I'm going to put in the story to change this moment this is going to be the twist how do I make this twist believable and then I go back chapter by chapter and I add in one tiny little mention or a strange glance at some odd object or something that's in a situation and then when they when the reader gets to that point they go oh I should have seen the signs I remember this and then it makes sense and it is shocking make sure back on um, some of these these uh, description elements too while we're talking about adding in details make sure you spread them out be precise and cut out any of the excess details that don't forward the story and that's going to be hard because you know you're going to write a, a, a scene or whatever and then you're going to write the next scene and you're going to move on from it and you're going to forget a lot about it and then when you go back through you have to refine the story and cut out the pieces that don't support the ultimate twist unless you're trying to be misleading deliberately in which case then leave those details in there but you have to have a purpose for every single thing in the book even if it seems like totally dumb detail and and it, it doesn't make any sense in the very beginning if there's a reason for it at the end it will make sense to the readers and and then it, the story will be satisfying to them make sure your vocabulary fits the story and I say this, but, you know, it, it can kind of fit in a lot of different ways. So there's terminology that fits for, for like, um, medical stories or police-based stories or military-based stories or science fiction-based stories. They all have their own kind of collection of terms that seem to fit, but you can also use them when you're describing. So, for an example, in my holiday romance, I might say, instead of saying her dress was cherry red, I might say cranberry red. Because then that detail kind of alludes to the, when I write specifically Christmas holiday romance. So then I use those descriptive details, you know, like instead of saying um, it was sea green, I would say it was fur green or holly green, because those terms are kind of then related and, I mean, you don't want your story to feel like it's puked, like, <laughs> holiday romance details and Christmas, like, all over the place. Because it needs to still be a story. Just like you don't want to take science fiction or fantasy and just make every single term about that, because then it gets overwhelming. But taking a few of those little details and adding them in, in very, like, um, specific or emphasized areas can actually help create an environment that feels more realistic in that genre for that reader. Overall though, and I guess the main point that I'm getting to at the end here, is that know that you are an artist and that you are creating a story that is meant to inspire and motivate and, and enlighten and create joy in your readers. So the rules don't have to 100% apply. You know, take that element of judgment and 
say, you know, this works. I understand why we need to change this. But also say this, to me, feels more important to leave this in and leave it the way that it is. Because I know my readers will like this. Because I appreciate this in writing. So being able to, to sort of juggle the two options, whether you want to remain with, you know, on the side of creative expression, or if you want to try to satisfy the um, ideals of marketable writing, and sometimes they overlap, but being able to then judge that um, for yourself when you get to those particular situations is really important. You do not have to take the advice of an editor or a critique partner or um, anybody that's done a beta read for you, it is highly recommended because clearly they're on the side of the reader and they're expressing, you know, what they feel or what how they're reacting to your story. But at the same time, each one of those people is an individual. If you start to notice a trend, that should be a good sign that a particular component of your story needs tweaking because more people are starting to um, converge on the same idea, you know, that you need to fix this or you need to, you know, change your character name or the dress or the situation. If it's one person and they kind of stand out from everybody else and they're not your typical reader, then you're probably going to be able to say, no, I'm not going to take that piece of advice, but thank you for offering you know, because you always want to be thankful and gracious to the people that are taking time to read your work and, and critique it. Because time is not something that we all have, you know, copious amounts of. We all got a lot of stuff to do. So don't feel pressured to take advice, but do ask for it. Because it's hard to step outside of yourself as a writer and look at your work from a reader's perspective. It takes practice. Trust me, I did not get to this point until I was several books into my writing career. And then it becomes something that you can sort of switch modes more readily. You can switch between being a writer and being a reader and being an editor and being a marketer, because guess what? That's going to come next. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you, but it is going to happen. Just remember that you have control don't let feedback get to you, especially emotionally, because it's not worth it. Ultimately, it's not worth it. It's just writing. It's just a story that you're creating for your readers. Don't let what they say upset you. And I know some, several people that I've worked with have stopped writing because feedback that they got was not as positive as they had hoped for, because in their mind, their story was wonderful. And to the, the people that were providing the feedback, it wasn't satisfactory. That does not mean that your book is not worth publishing. What it means is it needs more editing. And that's okay. Like, sometimes you write a book, and it's just literally total crap. But the concept is there. The plot is there. The characters are there. It just needs better presentation, or it needs you know, more of those genre details, or it's too long, or it's too short, or whatever. It becomes a process of just then moving some bricks around, and then rebuilding the story. And then moving a few brick bricks around and, and doing it again. I took one story, I'm actually still finishing this, 
and I changed the entire point of view of the story. So I originally had it written in third person and now it is in first person. And going through and changing every single line is exhausting because you have to change, you know, um, multiple words within that line in order to make I say this as I'm doing this out of I or uh, out of she said she was going to do this as she did whatever there's multiple words that have to be changed it is an exhausting process yes it absolutely is and I sometimes I'm kick myself and think well why didn't I just do this in the first place but it doesn't matter I didn't and I need to change it just be prepared for those changes. Know that, at least in my mind, any book, no matter how brand new you are to writing, anything to me is publishable with the right changes. And sometimes that takes multiple rounds of editing and, you know, lots of changes and lots of critiques, but eventually it can be molded to something that will be desirable to readers. So don't give up on your writing. Sometimes the first project isn't the best and you set it aside and you can come back to it later and maybe you work on something else. That's okay. It's not a failure. It's just something that needs time before it's ready. Anyway, I hope these uh, guidelines and tips were helpful for you. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me. I'm more than happy to post another podcast that covers a different topic Um, if there's something that I didn't address. And I hope you are all safe and well wherever you are, and I hope that you keep writing. Power on! Hello again, and welcome to Indie Up. Today we're talking about whether or not our writing is good enough. And this is a fairly open question, and really the only way to know for sure if your writing is good enough is to know what your goals are for your writing and your author career. In short, I believe the answer is yes, your writing is good enough. But the truth of the matter is that anyone can publish anything. There are plenty of websites where you can go online and upload your book, and it, the, the system, the, the people that work for the companies don't go through and proofread your book and make sure that it is quality enough for their customers to be satisfied. So you can absolutely write a book and, and publish it without going through any editing or critiques But I don't recommend that. And if you want to avoid putting your foot in your mouth, you're going to be doing a lot of these edits and critiques early on so that you can get a feel for your natural writing and how it compares to the expectations of others. You can figure out where your largest troubled areas are, fix them, and refine the story. And if you do this enough times, eventually you're going to get to the point where people are just happy with reading your work and they, they don't really have anything to suggest or tips for how to make it better. And when you're at that point, that's when you know this is a quality book and I'm ready to publish. Make sure that you're realistic about your goals, especially with your first book or your first series. It's very rare for any person to publish a book and naturally gain a large readership. Most of the time when someone posts a book online for sale, it's their first book or their first series, 
and they start getting a, a ton of reviews and a ton of customers, it's because they've already built a marketing platform. That does not mean that their writing is better than yours. There's an author that I follow on social media. She's in science fiction fantasy. She has 50 plus reviews on her books with multiple series published. But she constantly posts on how unsuccessful she is and how unsatisfied she is with her author career. She wants to quit. And I'm sitting at my computer thinking, man, I wish I had what she had. I wish I had so many reviews. I wish I was as successful as she is. And I don't understand why she's unhappy. This is what is called imposter syndrome. And it seems to be very common in the writing community. Where we have this constant need to compare ourselves to one another. Compare our books to other books. Our readers to other readers. Our reviews. There are millions of books available online. It's unrealistic for us to say that we should be as successful as someone else. Because our writing is our own writing. Our readers are our own readers. There are plenty of genres and subgenres and different messages and themes within books that make each one unique. It's important for you to have your goals for your business set aside so that you can keep track of where you are at in the market. And it is hard when you are trying to write for mainstream media because trends are going to change and that is something that you're going to want to track with if your goal is to sort of fit that um, revenue stream with those customers. So you will be doing a lot of comparing of your work or the st statistics related to your work to the statistics of other work, where they're at on the charts, how many sales they're getting or reviews they're getting, how many sites they're published on or stores they're published in, that sort of thing. But you have to be able to step back from that and be realistic about the progress of your goals with your, your publishing. Your first book is going to be a challenge and it's not going to be your best work. But your writing may still be good. You can resolve a lot of the self-doubt by going through the editing process, by having people critique your work, having beta readers read it, or if you're on a site like Wattpad where you can post snippets of your work and have other people read it and leave comments. People love to share their opinions and their thoughts on things. When you're asking for feedback, often they're going to give you feedback that is critical. This isn't good enough, or you should change this, or tweak this, or you need to cut this out completely. If they aren't giving you a lot of constructive feedback, ask for it. You can always say, tell me your favorite line or your favorite character or scene. Edits are going to tell you what's wrong, but they're not always going to include 
what your strong points are, and your strong points are just as important as the areas that need improvement. When I edit work for other people, I always make sure to include a separate author booster sheet, which shares with my other, my other author friends, my favorite moments from their books, favorite lines, favorite scenes, characters who work really well together. Because if you know what you're good at, you know what you can build on. I truly believe anything can be edited enough times to be worthy of publication and gain you a regular readership. Readers that will come back and want more of your work. But as an author, you have to be willing to make the appropriate changes. There's often an urge in the writing community, I think, to be naturally good at something. And I think a lot of writers spend a lot of time writing and eventually they get to this point where it comes easily to them. But it's not something that happens without practice. We don't just wake up one morning and are suddenly an amazing writer. Make sure that when you are getting your feedback, that you are finding CPs, critique partners, and editors who are familiar with your genre. The same goes for beta readers, though they usually happen later in the process and your book has been polished to almost publication worthy. If you're not ready to get feedback from critique partners and editors, you can start by picking up books that you admire and reading them and then comparing your work to how the published books read. So checking lines, seeing how they organize their paragraphs, the story across the chapters, how they include twists, the voice. Use those elements and compare them to how you are presenting the story to your readers. Don't plagiarize, but take notes on your favorite lines, characters, the things that you admire from those books that you enjoy. The more you write and assess your work, the better you're going to understand it, and the more precise you will be in your goals for your writing. It takes practice, a lot of it. You may already be there and just have imposter syndrome. But how do you know when to quit? This is a good question and something that not a lot of people think about when they are building their author career. They're, they're building their author platform, they're writing their first book, or they're thinking about their first series. It's just as important to have a kill switch as it is to have goals for your writing career. If your goal is to make money and you're not making money, or you're spending too much in services, in software, see if there is a different method that costs a little bit less first. Maybe you can take your website subscriptions down. Maybe you can do something yourself instead of paying someone else to do it. Over time, you're going to be able to track how much you're spending and how much you're earning. And your earning should 
slowly progress upward. Maybe it'll go fast. I hope it goes fast for you. <laughs> but if you're not making as much money, you may need to switch the genre of your book or a subgenre or the keywords. Maybe you need to publish on a new platform or work on your marketing. If readers don't know your book exists among the millions, they're never going to find it. Marketing is critical to being successful. If you haven't got into marketing yet, but you've published your book and you're not getting a lot of sales, you have to get into marketing. It is the only way for readers to know your book exists and that they, they need it and they want it and they have to have it and then they buy it. But you have to be out there making yourself known amongst the millions of other options that they have so that they will then have the chance to click on your book. You have about two seconds to sell them. So make sure your blurb, your um, title, everything, your cover, the way that you present your book in that two seconds is going to determine whether or not they feel like they need to read it or not. If your cover is enticing, your title is enticing, your blurb is enticing, they are going to click on that ad. If you don't sell them in two seconds, they're gone. Probably the biggest one is going to be not getting enough positive reviews. If you're getting negative reviews, you may need to pull the plug. And it might just be on that book in particular. Maybe it just doesn't fit the genre. Maybe nobody's really reading it. But if you only have a handful of reviews and they're all negative, something is not aligning right with that story. It could need more editing. It could be for sale in the wrong category. But that is probably the biggest thing that I would say would make you need to pull that book down from publication. It could be as simple as tweaking the marketing targets, finding a different audience, or maybe the cover just is misleading and making people think that the story inside is different than it turns out to be. As an example, from personal experience, I have a romantic suspense novel for sale and I had some fairly terrible reviews come through for that book. But they were by a historical romance reader. So romantic suspense, when it's contemporary, is not something that typically a historical romance reader would enjoy. And I had another review, but it was from someone who reads like 180 to 200 books a year, which is just impossible. And all of their reviews were negative. So I do disregard that review in that case because that person clearly doesn't take the time to actually read the books and they tend to leave consistently negative reviews for everybody. Another one that I've had was someone who believed that my book was not a complete book when it is the first in a series. And this will happen sometimes. 
You may find people are commenting on things that are unsatisfactory that don't make sense. So my series clearly says book one of the number that I have, uh, which at the moment is two of three. I have two books published of three. And it says that it's the first book in a series, but this reviewer decided to say that my book was not complete and that they were mad they were going to have to buy another book to find out what happens next. That would be how a book series works. So you have to exercise some rational judgment when it comes to the feedback that you get from your customers. And sometimes if you have a really nice uh, following, uh, an email list or a social media following, sometimes you can ask them to help spread the word that something is inaccurate or not true, and then it will help mediate the situation. If your fiction writing isn't working out, or your poetry isn't working out, or maybe you're a song or a screenwriter or a copywriter, those can all exercise the same sort of skill set, but in a different manner. So maybe if you're writing poetry and it's not going over very well, maybe you could use your poetry skills to write fiction. Don't give up on your writing just because you have a bad experience or they ha- you have a few of them. Often it's just that the situation isn't right for that material or there's something that needs to be adjusted. But I truly do believe that if you really want to publish something, no matter where you're at in your education level with your writing, um, your skill set, how new you are to writing, I do believe that you can edit yourself to publication. So is your writing good enough? Yes, I think so. Absolutely. But it may not be good enough as it is right now. If you're willing to put in the effort and the time to make it that way, then you can move forward and build upon your your author career. I hope these tips have been helpful. I hope the discussion has been helpful. If you have any questions or comments or things that you'd like me to discuss discuss further, um, just send me a message. And I hope everyone's doing well and staying safe.